The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. I'm Storm Center 7 meteorologist Kirsty Zantini. We're watching the radar right now. If weather breaks, we break in immediately. Here on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. And I'm Dayton's consumer warrior, Clark Howard. You're listening to an Ask the Expert Weekend. Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to the Saturday afternoon pre-recorded broadcast to Shoot from the Hip. I'm Jeff Pedro, in with Mark Avery, and we're from Sim Trainer, the Dayton area's first indoor range and firearms training center. You can visit us on the web at www.sim-trainer.com. You can give us a call at the range at 937-293-3914, or you can stop down and see us. Our store is located at 2031 Dryden Road in Moraine, right across the street from DPNL. I want to start off today's show by uh, mentioning that I want to dedicate uh, this show, make it a tribute to uh, Rush Limbaugh, the pioneer of conservative talk radio, a man who I started listening to in the late 80s as a young police officer working afternoon shift. Once things would settle down in the evening, I would do one of two things. In the summertime, I would listen to the Reds on radio. This was all the way in southern Illinois, mind you. 700 WLW had a long reach, and of course, Rush was on multiple stations. But I would either listen to the Reds on radio or Rush Limbaugh. And uh, that carried on all the way through when I moved back here to Ohio and uh, and still today. My wife was just telling me it was a Sunday evening. It was a regular ritual when she would leave the campground. Um, she would listen to Rush the whole way home. And uh, it was kind of a... Uh, a thing that we, we did, and we're so thankful of the trail that he blazed. Um, uh, radio was dying. If it ever really gained a whole lot of popularity in the 50s, and 40s and 50s, into the 60s, into the early 70s, but into the 80s, it was kind of a dying breed, and he kind of in, injected a, uh, a real um, uh, much-needed enthusiasm, a, a different perspective. Um, he kind of sh- he shook the the industry, so to speak, and we're so grateful for his uh, his efforts. Well, yeah, it was talk radio in particular was something that was just not that popular. Uh, most of the radio stations, particularly AM stations, had been music formats, a variety of different music styles and genres, but that was transitioning over to FM where the quality was better. So there were a lot of AM radio stations that didn't really have a format. They didn't have a niche. News was something it was it was an area where people you know where some stations kind of found that as as their area to be uh, but there was there wasn't the 24 7 news cycle in that day that there is today that we have of course on cable and and in other um, other medium but uh, the the whole thing of talk radio was something that was out there it was mostly local there weren't that many nationally syndicated talk radio programs except for few little bits that would be pre-recorded and sent out like the Paul Harvey's uh, programs for example that wasn't exactly the same as talk radio but that was a that was a format uh, when Rush came on the scene he was the first to really have a nationally syndicated talk radio program and there were several other people who tried to match it and for a time uh, there were there was this Air America where they were trying to be the liberal alternative to the conservative Rush Limbaugh 
didn't really work that well. It was There was a lot of money that went into it, but there weren't a whole lot of people that were listening to it, and it didn't survive. It didn't sustain itself. Whereas Rush Limbaugh um, and the programs and the and the the uh, the whole infrastructure that he built has then been uh, brought several other people to this fore, and now we have several national nationally syndicated talk radio programs. Some of them on this station, um, others on on other stations, and the fact that we're even able to be on the radio is in large part because of the trailblazing that Rush Limbaugh did back 30-plus years ago. And I think of three kind of descriptive words. Number one, he was informational. Number two, he was certainly controversial. Number three, mostly factual. Um, and well, I and I, I, would, I would add another one in that he was engaging. Uh, you know, he didn't he, – he, his format changed some over the years as well. When he first started out, he was – um, just much more, you know, relaxed, comical, a uh, little bit maybe a, a little bit more edge to some of the stuff that he did, a lot more satire and a lot more um, I mean, sarcasm. And that didn't play as well in the national scene, especially when the uh, 1994 with the turnover in the in the House and the Senate to the contract of America with America with um, with Newt Gingrich as the Speaker of the House. And and they brought him in. Some of I mean that is that that was something that was you know just kind of unheard of that a, a, a radio personality would be brought in and consult with leaders in Congress. And I think that may have also changed some of his outlook on things. And he became much more serious and and much more content based. As you said, factual, it was factual the whole time. But the way he presented some of those facts, and it was in a way that people could understand and relate to. And, and it's not just conservatives that related to it. He had listeners from across the political spectrum. Some of them really didn't like what he said because it went against what they had their core beliefs. But a lot of them were converted as well because you could not argue with the logic. The logic was impeccable, and the facts that he used to back it up were all checkable. It wasn't like uh, much of what we hear today. Many of the many of the factoids, uh, the statements that are made, they're completely no basis in reality. That's that was not the case with Rush Limbaugh. And therein lies the philosophy and the origin of this show. We wanted it to be factual based, and we wanted you to be able to fact check and search for yourself answers. And I want to just start off today's show because, uh, like uh, many of Rush's shows, we have the ability. Um, to talk about a variety of topics, and some of them are directly related to firearms, other are, are related to uh, fringe topics, and other just whatever we decide to talk about because it's our show and that's <laughs> like what we do. Like today, for instance, like talking today. about Rush Limbaugh. Well, but it's all, uh, and again, it, it's it, all going to tie in, and you'll see how I put it together. Um, I want to talk, uh, give our listeners uh, what I have found to be a capital incident update. Um, we now have confirmed that no one was actually killed on that day as a result this last week um, we'd heard for weeks on end that uh, the one police officer well, died a day or two after sustaining injuries uh, resulting from being struck in the head with a, um, a fire extinguisher that turns out to be absolutely false that was unfortunately perpetuated through the media for weeks on end to promote a narrative, which we'll talk about later on. But um, his brother came out and said it was very likely, although not totally determinative at this point, that he died of a stroke. Um, a horrific turn of events, the way that whole situation was manipulated. Um, 
and thank uh, thank goodness for uh, Officer, Officer Sicknick's brother coming out clarifying the record. Um, the New York Times had to walk back their uh, repeated uh, claims of what the initial cause of death was. And so that leaves us now with an officer that is believed to have sustained a stroke, two officers that uh, supposedly committed suicide, two civilians, one who died of a heart attack, one who died of a stroke, and a third who died of unknown medical reason, initially reported as possibly being trampled in the crowd. No evidence of that, no video evidence of that, no one talking about that. So we don't know that anybody at all was killed, and yet for weeks on end, the, the, um, uh, the leftist, socialist, Commie Dems have promoted that agenda to forward a narrative, which we'll talk about in in a little bit. Um, Nancy Pelosi, just this last week, has also appointed a Democratic partisan hack, a retired Army general, last name a bit by the name of Honore, to, quote, review, unquote, the incident and events on January 6th. Now, there have been numerous people on both sides of the political spectrum calling for a bipartisan investigation of what actually uh, happened there. There are multiple investigations in the course of uh, being underway right now at the federal level and uh, at the, uh, the D.C. Metropolitan Police level relative to incidents um, that, that occurred on that particular day. Um, the problem with this individual is that he's already expressed his his bias by asserting um, the other day that uh, in his estimate, based on no factual data, just his own personal assumption, he estimates that 30% of the Capitol Police officers were Trump supporters and that he likely and somehow conspired with the rioters on that particular day. Now think about that. He has no basis for stating that. He comes out publicly in one of the um, the computer sessions that they do and um, uh, when they were interviewing him and he's going to be the one appointed to review or conduct an overview of the incident that happened that day. And even if the first part was true, that in fact that the, the number of people supporting Trump on the staff of the Capitol Police does break down that way, that's got nothing to do that, that naturally then says the consequence is they conspired to make this happen and they allowed people in in a way that, that was inappropriate or that they shouldn't have. Now, relative to that, we know because we've learned painstakingly difficult way over the last several years that usually what they're saying other people are doing is what they are doing. Hmm. And in this particular case, there's little doubt that there were some people who had some knowledge and were involved in the decision-making process before, during, and immediately following this incident that had adverse consequences. And that's the kind of information we hope is going to um, uh, come about. And I bring this up because, as our dear Rush would say, mark my word. Rush said several times when he was trying to make a point. Mark my word that this made-up narrative is nothing more than a springboard for an aggressive, unconstitutional anti-gun grab that's about ready to come 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 down the, down the pike. Yeah. Um, they made it very clear that they're they're going to do this. The the president um, just this past week talked about it in a town hall meeting. He's made it uh, public in the last couple of weeks. And if he can't get it done legislatively, he's going to do it by executive fiat. And we've seen through HR one twenty seven and other representations, um, as Mark has uh, posted on uh, our website, a link to. The, the, their their pre-election website where they talked about the gun control measures that they're going to move forward with. Um, it's a pretty aggressive, tyrannical, draconian uh, a set of events, but uh, um, that's that's where we're headed, and there's no doubt in my mind that that's the reason 
that this kind of situation has been perpetuated the way it has been. Well, I suspect, suspect that there are a lot of people who read that initial uh, campaign um, position paper about what they would do with gun control and said, oh, come on, that's just campaign rhetoric. And now you look to see where things are really going, and it's not just campaign rhetoric. It's what they really want to do. Now, whether they'll be able to do it or not, whether they'll be able to get that through the House and the Senate, I'm not going to try to predict. I would like to say, no, they can't. I would like to think that there are still enough patriots on both sides of the aisle to say that, no, we are not going to just, by legislation, change the Constitution. I don't know that that's true anymore, but I would still like to believe that the people who have sworn an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution have actually read it and understand that there are some things they are constrained from doing. You know, Mark, we're going to talk uh, in the next uh, several minutes about this whole concept of swearing an oath and, and what that means. And uh, I think many people have lost total touch with what they are bound to, to, to do once they take office and they raise their hand and they take that oath uh, to uphold the Constitution, the laws of the land, and also to protect this country from all enemies, uh, uh, domestic and foreign. And it's, it's unfortunate that... Uh, that's really not given much consideration. Matter of fact, there are some of them who have publicly come out and said, well, the Constitution, it's over, overlived its usefulness. And those old white men who, who uh, um, you know, were responsible for writing the words that are in the first 10 amendments to the Constitution, along with all the other, all the other language that they, well, you know, many of them were uh, racist and uh, they, they, they didn't really, what they said then doesn't have much applicability now. The funny thing is that document has endured over 260 years of time, 250 years of time, and it's uh, come to be something that we fall back on in difficult times. And the, the tenets that it purports uh, are just as viable today as they were then. And it's unfortunate we have people that are constantly putting it under attack. I think that's true. And and it's something that I don't think is taught enough in the lower grades now. It was, I know, when I was a student, uh, we, you know, we read through and learned about the formation of government and the way that, that uh, the government is supposed to work, the federal government is supposed to work, and different forms of government that led up to this and how the Articles of Confederation did not work and how the Constitution was put together in a much more collaborative method with a much more strong central government, but with fences around its power. Uh, and, and those fences have kind of broken down in far too many ways. All right, we need to take our first break for the hour. We'd love for you to contact us. Uh, if you would go to our website at sim-trainer.com, go to the contact link and then send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. We can use your questions on the air. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to this pre-recorded broadcast of Shooting from the Hip. And uh, in the first uh, segment today, I had talked about some of the details that have uh, since been clarified relative to the Capitol event. And one of the main points I made was that it, uh, as a result of uh, Officer Sicknick's death being determined to not have been from injuries sustained from being hit in the head from a, 
um, a fire extinguisher, I made the comment that no one was killed. Um, I was referring to the narrative that uh, I think the, the that, that the, the protesters are, had. Yeah, yeah I was talking that the, the protesters did not do anything that resulted in anybody being killed. Ashley Babbitt, the one female who was shot when she climbed up into the, the window, uh, allegedly in an attempt to breach a uh, secure area of the, the Capitol, uh, she was shot by a Capitol uh, police officer. Um, as best we Somebody know right now, although inside. we haven't been able to find much more information relative to that situation, uh, she was in fact killed. So that was a, a situation where one of the rioters was killed as opposed to they talk about the deadly insurrectionists. Right. Now, again, that can be that can be um, uh, construed a number of different ways. But the way they were trying to promote it is that as a result of their actions, several people were killed by them or as a result of their actions. And um, again, I just wanted to clarify that. So there was one one person killed by a Capitol Police officer when she allegedly tried to breach a secure area the, uh, of the Capitol, but we'll wait and see when the official investigation comes out exactly what occurred there. We only have a couple minutes left. I want to remind our listeners uh, this past week, due to the winter weather that went through here, a couple things that happened uh, last week uh, due to sickness. We had to reschedule our uh, riot, riot uh, survival class from uh, – um, the, the 10th to the 24th, and that'll be coming up next week. And I want to remind our listeners, there's still a few open. Weather permitting. Weather permitting. There's still a few open spots in that class. So if you're interested in getting in the riot survival class, it'll be offered from 6 to 10 p.m. on Wednesday, uh, February 24th. Also, this past Monday, we had to cancel our basic handgun class, uh, which was scheduled uh, from uh, 6 to 10. And it is scheduled for next Monday, the 22nd, from 6 to 10. So uh, I know there's only two spots left in that particular class. So if you're interested in getting into the basic handgun class, um, there are two spots available for next next Monday's classes. Uh, also be aware that uh, we have set some additional classes due to the popularity of our gun cleaning class, our uh, shotgun class, and then uh, repeated demand for our AR basic um, AR uh, rifle class. We have scheduled those uh, for the week of the 10th or the 15th of March. Please check our a calendar, the website calendar at sim-trainer.com and look at those classes. Uh, we're doing semi-automatic pistol cleaning class again, another shotgun class, and a AR rifle class because uh, because of popular demand. We've we've added those classes again for uh, for March. As far as the advanced handgun classes go, I'm still kind of holding off till we see what the ammo situation is because the advanced handgun class, uh, in order to make that worthwhile, you're going to consume about 750 rounds of ammunition. You're going to shoot about 750 rounds of ammunition. So that's for the whole series. That's for the whole yeah. series of five classes. So that's the reason we haven't offered those. They're coming soon. In addition to our uh, uh, Concealed carry beyond the basics, which is the logical follow-up class for the person who doesn't want to commit to five four-hour classes. They can take one four-hour class, what we call uh, beyond the uh, concealed carry beyond the basics, and learn some of those important aspects of of concealed carry that will help you be more proficient um, if you decide to carry your firearm for personal safety and self-defense. And it does incorporate some of the things that we cover in the earlier part of the advanced handgun. It is a shooting class, but it's also a classroom class. So if you're looking at that. Especially if you've had your license and now you'd like to take it up to the next level, that's a great way to do that. We're going to go out into the newsroom. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.
It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley Radio Station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO. Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show. And if you have any comments or any questions, please uh, visit our uh, website at sim-trainer.com and uh, click on the contact tab and send us an email and we'll be more than glad to respond to any direct questions you have. Or if it's something that the broader listening audience might benefit from, we'll be sure to be bringing it up or bring it up on a subsequent show. I want to kind of shift gears just a little bit and talk about something that was very perturbing uh, this last week. Uh, President Biden participated in a uh, not well advertised, but a CNN town hall meeting um, where he alleged during the course of several things, uh, and this is the thing that really kind of got my attention and, and, and dug deep, is that former military and police personnel are heavily involved in white supremacist groups. Yeah, I now, saw that too. I saw that. I heard that. I went back and played it. Um, you go to our website. There are links to what he said portions of that town hall you go to the cnn uh town hall meeting you can listen to it for yourself but it uh it it just struck a nerve um he went so far as to allege that there are studies quote unquote on college campuses and more that should be conducted were his words to examine this issue now i'm not aware of a single study i'm not to say that they're not out there but i gotta believe that if there were studies saying that white or, or um, I guess predominantly white, uh, retired or former police officers and military personnel are widely involved in white supremacist groups that we'd be hearing about that on a regular basis. Um, he, well, this, more than that, you and I both come from one of those Well, and we're going to talk about that in, in just a minute, Mark, but I just want to say that this outrageous claim, in, in my professional opinion, is nothing more than a continued attack on police and now add to that military personnel designed to demonize those groups of people and create further divisions between civilians and those who protect society on a, de- on a daily basis, whether it's municipalities in the case of the police or our country in the case of the military. And I have to give credit to a very dear friend, um, probably the most renowned historian that I personally know, uh, Mike Klein, who uh, worked for us for many years and was a uh, um, teacher and administrator for the Kettering City Schools, he pointed out to me in an online discussion that I was having that, um, like the Germans and the Russians of the 30s, um, they purged their military and police um, uh, of those who did not follow the party line. In other words, who didn't think the way and act the way that they wanted them to act. And um, I, again, I thank Mike for pointing that out. We've heard so so often in the last several months how the, 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 the propaganda machine, the false information, the misinformation, um, the, the stamping out of uh, clarifications to comments that are made on the internet, the, the blocking of people who are making com- comments that are counter to what the administration's trying to advance. Um, this is, this is kind of how things did in fact happen uh, back in Germany in the 30s and early 40s. And it's, we're in scary times. I, I think it's unfortunate that uh, these sorts of things are happening. But, Mark, i got to tell you, um, as you mentioned, you're a retired military. I'm retired law enforcement. 
And in my professional opinion, based on years and years, nothing could be farther from the truth. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people like people from all walks of life who get tied up with different radical groups. I'm not saying that's the case at all. But to come right out and mention that they're they're, they're concerned that a significant number of retired or um, not necessarily retired, former police officers, former military personnel are involved with white supremacy groups, that's an overreach. Yeah, um, and, and I think it, it kind of goes back to a, a Department of Homeland Security notice that went out uh, back uh, during the uh, previous administration that basically said, if you are you're going to watch, you need to be very watchful of people coming back from having served military tours and those separating and in some cases retired. But I think they were more uh, focused on the, the separating from military tours and saying that these people are a threat. These people are not a threat. Now, there may be individuals who have uh, some mental uh damage that as a result of uh, whether it be a, a traumatic brain injury or PTSD or some other mental injury that may manifest itself in some ways that you know, that might be uh, in some ways dangerous, but that is by far not the norm. Um, in most cases, those, those, those uh, people can be effectively uh, counseled and treated and, and they're able to work through most of that. And we found that even some have become radicalized sure. um, when they've been exposed to certain environments. But, they come but that's back. but that's there's nothing unique, you no. military or law enforcement about that. We see people get radicalized from all walks of life, and the problem is they're not concerned about those who get radicalized towards the that which opposes the uh, the the Constitution and the patriotic foundation of this country. They're not concerned about that kind of radicalization until something terrible and just dramatic happens. But they're very concerned about, oh, what might happen if those people on the right, those people who, who actually think the Constitution means something, th those people are dangerous when they, when they get together. Yeah, but the biggest thing here, there's, there's no doubt that what they're trying to do is create wedges to demonize military and law enforcement personnel, active and uh, former, whether it's retired or otherwise. But here's what we know, and uh, you can chime in at any time, Mark. Uh, military um, and police personnel, whether they are just separated from service for whatever reason or retired, in the case of you and I, we know they're patriotic. They're brave and heroic. They were when they served, and they are still today. Many of them would would uh, in a minute do what they had to do to save a life or to protect people from from harm. Um, they're committed to protecting citizens and willing, in some cases, to give their own lives to accomplish that goal and put themselves in danger. We talk all the time about um, law enforcement officers in particular, military personnel also. They run to the call of gunfire, whereas everybody else is running away from it. That's the same with dedicated um, retired and former police officers and, and military personnel who still care and still take that duty to protect very serious even after their service, their times of service. They want to live the remainder of their lives according to God's plan. Whatever he has planned for us, we want to have good health care. In the case of the veterans, um, they want to have a good VA. They want to have a strong VA, a, a good VA benefits. Um, the same with law enforcement. We want to make sure that ourselves and our family members, our spouses in most cases, once we get to be this age, many of them, like you and I, they still work in their 60, into their 60s and 70s. They have developed a strong 
uh, work ethic that tells them that they're going to continue to contribute. They're, they're contributing not only to society and the, the, the jobs that they perform, they're tax-paying, law-abiding citizens. They adhere very much to, my experience, the rule of law and the Constitution. That means a lot to us, Mark. And, and that's something that I think that, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's just a shame when those uh, members of Congress in particular raise their hand and take that oath of office. For some reason, they just kind of don't absorb the meaning of supporting the Constitution and protecting the country from all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's just something that I think it's it's been reduced to a bunch of words, and it, it's very unfortunate. Well, I think... Uh, I, I heard it put this way one time, that, and, it, and it really rings true to me, and that is th- there is a part of this country that reads the Constitution for what it says and wants to uphold it and defend it. And there are others who read the Constitution for what they want it to say and what they can read into it, how they can bend the words in a way that conforms with their view of what should be. It's, it's very much the same as those people who look at, at society and say, here is what is, what can we do to uh, deal with it and correct it and protect ourselves where there's danger, and others who look at society, ignore what is, and say, well, this is what should be, so we're going to make policy based on that. Well, Mark, directly related to that, you so eloquently and intelligently recite the Second Amendment, and I ask you to please recite those words, and then I'll move on with my comment once you do that. Sure. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And the last part of that, it doesn't say, depending on what your political perspective is, we might infringe this way or maybe if things go this way, it says shall not be infringed, period. No exceptions, no, no qualifiers, period. And unfortunately, we have several infringements currently codified in federal and, in many cases, state laws. And the problem with that is we haven't, as a, as a country, we have not fought against that and said, no, this is wrong, get rid of this. And that's where it needs to be done is by removing those laws that are wrong, those laws that create infringements should be removed. And some people have said, well, we, we need to go to the court and have the court overturn that. Okay, that would be one method, but the problem is that the court that's not the court's job the i mean yes if if something comes to the court and they find it unconstitutional they then then it should be nullified but that that really is the legislative branch that puts the laws together and if they've created a law that's unconstitutional and most of the federal laws are unconstitutional they don't have the authority. If you read the text of the Constitution, what they are drawing is outside the boundaries that the Constitution lays for the scope of the federal government. And, and the, the classic example is, well, we're going to regulate how you do things, and we're going to call it interstate commerce. And that's not what that phrase means. And there it doesn't say anything having to do with interstate commerce. It has to do with restrictions such as tariffs being levied by the states between states. That's what they're talking about with respect to interstate commerce when you look at the Constitution. But when you look at the laws, they just grab the interstate, anything having to do with interstate commerce. So the firearms regulations. Well, if you ship that firearm from one state to another, that's interstate commerce and we get to have a piece. You know, and you mentioned so many good points. I just want to add right now, in addition to 
the Democrats' urgency or self kind of self-perpetuated urgency to do something relative to the Dayton incident, relative to um, Sandy Hook, relative to the Parkland shooting. They have said for, for many years now they want to do something. They don't need – I really believe this. They don't really know what they want to do, and they absolutely have no idea what they want to do what impact that's going to have on anything. And here's a classic example. Right now, they're talking about banning, one of the biggest things is banning certain types of weapons and what they call high-capacity magazine. A magazine holds more than 10 rounds. Arbitrary if you number. take, if you, you put a hold on all legislation right now and you don't enact any more laws, believe me, I know from researching this, it will have zero impact on any crime that's going on in our country one way or another because there are so many laws on the books. Everything that you can imagine, everything that you can fathom or or uh, make up relative to the Capitol incident and everything that happens in the inner cities and everything that happens involving a gun when somebody commits a crime, there's already laws on the books that cover that, and there's layers upon layers of those laws. We don't need any other any other laws. Now, they talk about one last thing I want to remind the people, that over the course of the mass shootings all the way from um, the Texas Tower incident in 1967 all the way through to Parkland just two years ago and everything in between. Now, don't I don't want to minimize this, but the total death toll from mass shootings still hovers, depending on how many you, you throw in there, between six and 700 lives lost. Now, just think about that. What did we hear about last year in Chicago? 800 homicides. Now, get this. Black men killing other black men. Mostly. Yeah, and now... Again, they haven't, you haven't heard anything. They haven't said, we need to do something about the violent crime in Chicago relative to what's happening, the type of weapons that are being used. Instead, they're going to make broad general classifications of laws by executive fiat if they, they're only going to affect law-abiding citizens. And they have really, they have no touch on what the, what the facts are. And the unfortunate reality is they don't care. They just want to do something because they've been the, they've been the party of gun control and now they've got a chance to shove it down our throats, and that's the, the, the method that they're moving forward with. Time for our last break for the hour. Contact us at our website at sim-trainer.com and go to the contact link. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'll get your question on the air. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to the show. We only have a few minutes and how time flies when you're having a good time. And I just want to let our listeners know, um, I want to encourage you to write letters to your representatives. Uh, I've mentioned in the past that I have gotten responses. I have since gotten the second response back that I'll share with our listeners in an upcoming show from uh, Senator Portman relative to uh, incidents, the, the circumstances surrounding the incident. Um, uh, at the Capitol, even though I disagree with some of his points, I, I express my deep gratification that um, the second letter in particular, I'm not sure that a staffer wrote it. I think it was very personal to me, and it addressed some of my direct concerns that I had, and I'm going to share it with our listeners because there are representatives out there who care and who will respond to you. And again, we can agree to disagree. 
on matters and issues, and that that's what this is all about. Um, one of the biggest things I said that instead of just uh, kind of letting this pass, we need to have a bipartisan uh, commission to investigate what happened there and the impact on uh, what it had. I'm talking about the Capitol incident and the impact that it had on everything moving moving forward and where we're at right now and, and where we're going to go from this point. So I want to urge you to write letters and be civil. Mark mentions that all the time. Don't don't write the letter and be accusatory and, and use foul language and express your total discontent and call them worthless. Uh, that, that's not the case. For whatever reason, some don't get back to us. Okay, we accept the fact that that's the reality, but we got to continue to do it because that's the only way that we're going to make ordered change in our democracy. And I would encourage that that include those you know disagree with you. And that, that the, the be polite is even more important in that situation. The one thing that I think the cancel culture has cost us seriously in this country is the ability to dialogue. We used to be able to talk with people we disagreed with. You go back to our founding. The founders did not agree. You had two very strong factions, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. And much of their communication is recorded in the papers from those two organizations. And the fact that the Constitution that we have and the Bill of Rights, which the, the Federalists thought was completely unnecessary because the Bill of Rights just said the government can't do these things to the people. And they said, if you read the Constitution, that's outside the boundaries of what they can do. And the Anti-Federalists didn't trust that and wanted to make sure that those rights of the people were guaranteed, codified, and added to the Constitution as the first ten amendments. And because that they, they did that, we have the First Amendment and the Second Amendment and the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment and the Sixth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment. And, you know, we also have, well, there's all ten, but those amendments have then been discussed repeatedly and used as justification for why certain government overreach was not allowed and it was because it was so clearly spelled out. Uh, I think we need to go back to that era of actually discussing when people you, that you don't agree with have strong opinions, go to the facts, and understand where they're coming from. And I think it's that, yeah. something that we've lost too much of. And I want to encourage our listeners to also address state and local legislators Absolutely. and leaders in addition to the school, local school boards because there's a lot of influence we can have at the local level. And also one more, what Mark mentioned last week, the Attorney General for putting up that database to check um, – uh, stolen guns. Right. Uh, he the, certainly way, deserves the kudos. I think so. It is. It only includes those that were reported by Ohio agencies, but it's a place to start. And so I think that's a good thing. It's Thank, a good thing. It is a good thing. Thanks very much for joining our show today. This is Mark Avery with Jeff Pedro for Shooting from the Hip on 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.